Friends, would you turn with me to the words that we read in First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. We're reading again at verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. On the 10th of October, Tyson Fury defeated Deontay Wilder in their World Boxing Council heavyweight match. Writing for The Guardian, Brian Graham wrote, Tyson Fury consolidated his place at the summit of boxing on Saturday night when he knocked out Deontay Wilder in the 11th round of a heart-pounding contest of extreme physical and psychological intensity that ennobled both men. The Gypsy King, whose career appeared finished when he left the sport for more than two years amid public battles with addiction and mental illness, dropped Wilder in the third round, then came off the floor twice in the fourth himself before roaring back from near defeat with knockdowns in the tenth and the eleventh round when referee Russell Mora intervened with the determined Wilder still trying to make it to his feet to continue. Simply put, it was an all-time classic, one that established Fury's supremacy over his American rival once and for all after their first meeting ended in a disputed split draw and their second in a knockout win for Fury. Everyone loves a good showdown, especially when the stakes are high. Now over the next two weeks we're going to be considering the dramatic showdown between the Lord and Baal as we continue our studies in the life of this prophet Elijah. And this evening we're going to really see the scene being set as we focus on a faithful servant and then a fearless spokesman. A faithful servant and a fearless spokesman. So first we have a faithful servant, and you see that in verses 1 down to 16, where the author focuses on Elijah's encounter with Obadiah. Now as we consider these verses, let's remember the context In the previous chapter, we considered the Lord's provision at Kerith as he provided Elijah with bread and with meat and with water on a daily basis. We then considered the Lord's provision at Zarephath as he provided Elijah and a widow and her son with flour and with oil on a daily basis. And finally, we considered the Lord's powerful raising of this widow's son back from the dead. But we now come to a new stage, a new development in Elijah's ministry. In verses 1 and 2, we see the direction. We're told that many days had passed. For three years, there had been a famine in the land of Israel. No refreshing, life-giving rain coming from the Lord. And for three years, there hadn't simply been a famine of food in the land of Israel. But there had also been a famine of hearing the word of God in the land of Israel. No refreshing, life-giving word from the Lord's prophet Elijah. Elijah is no longer living in the land of Israel. He has crossed the border. He has gone to Kerith and then he has gone on to Zarephath. And days pass and weeks pass and months pass and the years pass and still there seems to be no let up. Israel are in this time of famine. And we're then told that after this prolonged period, after these many days, the word of the Lord came 
to Elijah. The Lord hasn't forgotten Israel, neither has he forgotten his prophet Elijah. And now his word comes to Elijah once again. We're then told that the Lord commanded Elijah to show himself to Ahab and that he would send rain on the earth. The Lord is going to remedy this situation. He is going to bring an end to this crisis. But he wants Ahab and he wants Israel to know that this hasn't come about because of Baal. Neither has this come about because of some good luck that has fallen on the nation. This has come about because the Lord is acting, the Lord is working, and so the Lord sends Elijah to go as his spokesman to Ahab. And we're then told that Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. When the Lord commanded him to go to Kerith, Elijah obeyed. When the Lord told him to go to Zarephath, Elijah obeyed. And now the Lord tells him to go to Ahab, and he obeys. We move, though, from the direction to the division in verses 2 down to 6. The author tells us that the famine was severe in Samaria. Look at verse 2. The Lord has shut up the heavens, and now there's a desperate shortage of food in the land of Israel. Big businesses are collapsing. People are dying. Where have you seen that before? And it's at this point that the author introduces us to a new character, this man called Obadiah in verses 3 and 4. He's a man whose name means servant of the Lord or worshipper of the Lord. He's a man, we're told, who was set over Ahab's household. He was responsible for overseeing the palace, overseeing the staff, overseeing the livestock. He's a man who is a high-flying court official. He is an advanced civil servant. He is very much Ahab's right-hand man. This man is more than a local councillor. This man is more than a Hollywood politician. This man is right up there in the halls of power at Westminster. This is a powerful man. This, this man is up there with Boris Johnson. This man is up there with Rishik Sunak. This man is an influential, powerful man. But he's also described as being a man who feared the Lord greatly. This fear of the Lord had been seen in his hiding a hundred prophets from Ahab's prophet-killing wife Jezebel. And this fear of the Lord had been further seen in the way that he had fed these prophets with bread and water. Now, having introduced us to Obadiah, the author tells us that he and Ahab were searching for water. Verses 5 and 6. Ahab instructs Obadiah to go through the land to all the springs of water and all the valleys in the hope that they might find some grass and thereby save some of their animals. Ahab and Obadiah then divide with Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah going in the other. And you know, in many ways, that gives us further insight into Ahab's indifference to the Lord. You see, if you go all the way back to 2 Samuel 21... We find David responding to a famine, a drought, by seeking the face of the Lord. And here in 1 Kings 18, we find another king, Ahab, responding to a three-year drought, a three-year famine, by not seeking the face of the Lord, but by seeking grass and water. And that brings us to the discovery in verses 7 through to 16. We 
see the recognition and the request in verses 7 and 8. As Obadiah is walking along, he suddenly encounters Elijah. He discovers Elijah. You, you see the surprise as the word behold is used. It's as if Obadiah is just walking along and then behold, whoosh, Elijah's there. And Obadiah recognizes him and he falls on his face and he cries out, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And Elijah wastes no time in telling Obadiah that it is indeed him. And he proceeds to instruct him to go to Ahab and to say to Ahab, Elijah is here. Behold, Elijah is here. That brings us to the refusal and the reassurance in verses 9 to 15. Obadiah is terrified upon hearing Elijah's instruction. And he begins by asking in verse 9, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? He goes on to tell Elijah that Ahab has spent the last three years searching every kingdom and every nation for Elijah. He has gone to kingdoms and nations and he has said to them, swear that you haven't seen Elijah. He continues by expressing his fear that the spirit of the Lord will carry Elijah away Spirit Elijah away to some unknown place while he goes to tell Ahab that Elijah is here. He highlights the fact that he is a man who has already risked his life in hiding a hundred prophets from Jezebel and then fed them with bread and with water. And finally he asks Elijah why he's treating him in this way since Ahab will surely kill him for bringing such a report to him. And having heard Obadiah's refusal, Elijah gives him a word of reassurance. He reminds him that his God is the Lord of hosts. His God is the the Lord of the armies of heaven, the commander of the armies of heaven. And he reminds him that his God, the Lord of hosts, lives. And he reminds him that the Lord of hosts who lives is the God whom he has stood before and continues to stand before. And then he swears, as the Lord, the God of hosts, lives before whom I am standing, before whom I am speaking right now, I will surely see Ahab this very day. I will see him. And I'm not afraid because I stand before the Lord of hosts. And with these very solemn words of the assurance ringing in his ears, Obadiah goes to meet Ahab, and Ahab responds by going to meet Elijah in verse 16. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being given a picture of faithfulness in a godless environment. Faithfulness in a godless environment. That's what we see in Obadiah. You know, many people are very quick to criticise Obadiah. Many people are quick to condemn Obadiah. Many sermons are preached by saying that Obadiah is a compromised Christian. He's got a foot in one too many camps. But this text presents Obadiah as someone who has risen in the world of politics while maintaining his fear of the Lord and expressing that in ways that involved great cost, great risk to himself. Raymond Dillard writes, There is always a temptation for the righteous to withdraw from the difficulties of living in a hostile world. But Obadiah doesn't hide. Neither does he withdraw. It is possible for Obadiah to serve God while also serving as a minister on Ahab's cabinet. And you know, friends, that should be such a challenging example to ourselves. 
Dillard continues his reflection on Obadiah writing, Engagement with the world is the way in which most of us will bear witness before a watching world. This evening I want to remind you friends that wherever the Lord has placed you, that place, that environment is a field of service for him. It might be your home, it might be your school, it might be your workplace, it might be your hospital bed, but wherever the Lord has placed you and however hostile to the gospel that place might be, however dark that place might be, the Lord has put you there for the glory of his name. He has put you there to witness for him. He has put you there to shine as a star for him. He has put you there to be a good and faithful servant. Now sometimes that might involve making a bold stand for the gospel, doing something radical, doing something risky, doing something that will put your reputation at risk. And at other times it might involve not participating in gossip, not slacking off but doing your very best when those around you are doing the bare minimum, not engaging in crude humour, not running down the church and its ministers and its elders and its deacons and its members, and its adherents. Being seen as a man or a woman of integrity because you have been called to a different life. You've been called to a different standard. You've been called to be a new creation in Christ. Friends, as we consider Obadiah, let me ask the question, are you being faithful? Am I being faithful in the places and spaces in which the Lord has sovereignly stationed us for the glory of his name, to shine for him. Think about it this way. The Lord could have put anyone in your home. He could have put anyone in your school. He could have put anyone in your workplace. He could have put anyone in your hospital bed. But in his sovereignty and his wisdom, he has placed you there for the glory of his name. Are you being a faithful servant? But we move from the faithful servant to a fearless spokesman, verses 17 through to 19. And here the author focuses on Elijah's encounter with Ahab. Verse 17, we hear Elijah's, Ahab's question. The author tells us who Ahab saw, beginning of verse 17. Obadiah has rushed off to Ahab with the words, Behold, Elijah is here. And Ahab responded by hurrying off to meet Elijah. It's been three years since they last met, and now Ahab sees Elijah. There is no mistaking him. Everyone knows what Elijah looks like. In 2 Kings chapter 1, we'll see that Elijah was a man who wore a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. That was his distinctive dress coat. Anytime someone said, I've seen a man with a coat of hair with a big leather belt, they said, that is Elijah. It was obvious. 
And now Ahab sees him and he recognises him. And the author proceeds to tell us what Ahab said to Elijah. Verse 17, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Now that isn't a question. Ahab knows exactly who Elijah is. He knows that this is Elijah. This is an accusation. Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Now Ahab's use of the word troubler here is interesting. On Tuesday night, and I know many of you didn't get Tuesday night's message, but on Tuesday night we focused on Joshua chapter 7 and the sin of Achan. And Achan was described as being a man who had brought trouble, God's curse, on Israel. And because Achan had brought such trouble on Israel, he was put to death in order to remove the trouble, remove the covenant curse from the people. So here is Ahab, and he is now calling Elijah the troubler of Israel, one like Achan, one responsible for this curse, a covenant breaker who should be put to death in order to remove the curse from Israel. Now can you imagine how discouraging and disheartening that must have been for Elijah to hear? After three years of drought, Elijah might have been imagining that Ahab's hard heart might just be softening. After three years of drought, perhaps Elijah was beginning to wonder if Ahab, like David before him, would cry out, I have sinned against the Lord. But Ahab, like so many world leaders after him, so many world leaders, like over the past 19 months, Ahab remains as hard as ever. And he accuses Elijah of being the troubler of Israel. It's, it's not Ahab's fault. It's the church's fault. It's the Christian's fault. It's the followers of God's fault. But it's not Ahab's fault. He's got no guilt. He's got no remorse. But we move from Ahab's question to Elijah's answer in verses 18 and 19. And Elijah wastes no time in reminding Ahab... And giving him a word of denunciation. Look at verse 18. He is emphatic as he tells Ahab that he is not the one who has troubled Israel. Instead it is Ahab who has brought this trouble on Israel. Elijah is no cowering, cringing sycophant as he stands before Ahab's throne. He is not going to stand before Ahab tickling his ears. Telling him what he wants to hear. Elijah is a man of courage. He is a man of conviction. He is a daring man. He is a bold man. He is a fearless man. He is standing before the prophet killing, uh, the husband of the prophet killing uh, Jezebel. And he tells him the truth about himself. He tells him that he is a covenant breaker. He tells him that he is the one responsible for God's covenant curse coming upon Israel. But Elijah goes even further as he then outlines the way in which Ahab has brought such trouble on Israel. He accuses Ahab of sins of omission. He has not done what he should have done. He's abandoned the commandments of the Lord. And then he accuses Ahab of sins of commission. He has done what he shouldn't have done. He's followed the bales. Arthur Pink writes, The essence of sin, the heinousness of sin, is that it involves throwing off the divine yoke, refusing to be in subjection to our maker and governor. It is a willful disregard of the lawgiver and rebellion against his authority. And that is exactly what Elijah is denouncing Ahab for. And he effectively tells him that he deserves to die as the troubler of Israel. 
He deserves to die as the covenant breaker. He deserves to die as one guilty of a heinous sin. And having denounced Ahab, Elijah goes on to make a demand of him in verse 19. He instructs Ahab to gather all Israel. He is calling for a public event which will be witnessed by everyone. And he instructs Ahab to have them all assemble at Mount Carmel. That was a seaside mountain uh, near to the Phoenician border. In recent years it had become a a leading centre of Baal worship. So in football terms, and I know some of you you guys are really keen on football. Using football terms, uh, Carmel is like Anfield. And Baal is Liverpool. This is like going to Anfield to play Liverpool. It's Bale's home patch. It's the place where Bale will have the home advantage. It's the place where Bale will be seen to be strongest. And finally, Elijah instructs Ahab to make sure that the 450 prophets of Bale and the 400 prophets of Asherah who ate at Jezebel's table all attended this event. Now next week we'll see why Elijah makes this demand. But for now we can simply note that every pagan prophet in Israel and every pagan priest in Israel has been summoned to be present at Baal's home patch, Baal's home turf for this great showdown. The stage is now set for the showdown between (coughs) Elijah and Ahab. But not only between Elijah and Ahab, but between the Lord and Baal. And we'll see how that develops in the coming verses. But tonight, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being given a picture of fearlessness before a godless man. Fearlessness before a godless man. That's what we see in Elijah. He's a man who has conducted... And he's a man whom Ahab has conducted an extensive search for. He is public enemy number one. He is the most wanted man in Israel and probably the world. He's a man whom Ahab regards as a troubler for Israel. A virus to be eliminated. A virus to be exterminated. And Elijah has no hesitancy in confronting Ahab and telling him the truth about himself. He refuses to duck, he refuses to dive as he accuses Ahab of engaging in sins of omission and sins of commission, covenant breaking. He doesn't hold back in telling Ahab about the reality of his sin and the reality of the Lord's judgment. Elijah gives it to Ahab straight. And friends, that should be such a challenge and such an example to ourselves. A few years ago, I shared the following words from an article by Greg Morse. And he writes in this article, Never since have so few words haunted me. In the dream I sat in a balcony before the judgment seat of God. Two magnificent beings dragged the man before the throne. He fell in terror. All shivered as the Almighty pronounced judgment upon him. As the powerful beings took the quaking man away, I saw his face, a face I knew well, I grew up with this man, we played sports together, went to school together, we're friends in this life, yet here he stood alone in death. He looked at me with indescribable horror. All he could say as they led him away in a voice I cannot forget. You knew? 
the two quivering words held both a question and an accusation. Last century, Charles Spurgeon said something very similar when he wrote, Sir Surgeon, you are too delicate to tell a man he is ill. You hope to heal the sick without their knowing it. You therefore flatter them. And what happens? They laugh at you. They dance upon their own graves and at last they die. Your delicacy is cruelty. Your flatteries are poisons. You are a murderer. Shall we keep men in a fool's paradise? Shall we lull them into soft slumber from which they will awake in hell? Are we to become helpers of their damnation by our smooth speech? In the name of God, we will not. Brothers and sisters, please hear me. We have been given a gospel to proclaim. We have been given a message of salvation to proclaim. We have been given good news about God's full and free forgiveness in Christ to proclaim. And that involves telling people the truth. The truth about God and the truth about themselves. Even if it makes us uncomfortable and maybe even unpopular. Brothers and sisters, will we be fearless when it comes to confronting and challenging those who are living without God and living without hope? Because if we're not going to do so, then who will? Who's going to tell your unbelieving husband about Christ if you won't? Who's going to tell your unbelieving wife about Christ if you won't? Who's going to tell your unbelieving siblings, your unbelieving friends, your unbelieving children, your unbelieving parents about Christ, salvation, God's judgment to come, the danger of sin, if you won't? So this is very much a challenge to us, a, a, an example to us, but a challenge to us to be fearless. Fearless before those who have perhaps very little time for God. But before we close, I want to challenge you, friend, if you're here tonight or if you're watching online and you're still not a Christian, you're still not a follower of Christ, you're still unconverted. What we see in these verses is just how hardened this man Ahab was to the Lord. You see, he has seen the Lord turn his whole country upside down. The economy is now in freefall. Ahab is struggling even to feed his livestock, and still he refuses to seek the Lord. He has then seen the faithful example of Obadiah, a man who fears the Lord and whose very name means worshipper of the Lord. Can you imagine that every time Ahab said, Obadiah, come over here, he was saying, man who fears the Lord, man who worships the Lord, come over here. And yet still he refuses to seek the Lord. And he has heard the fearless preaching of Elijah, a man willing to stand before him and tell him the truth about himself and the truth about God, a man who drew his attention to his covenant breaking, and still he refuses to seek the Lord. Now what about you this evening? 
13-year-old, 14-year-old, 40-year-old, 60-year-old, 80-year-old. Perhaps the Lord has done something in your life. Perhaps he's turned your life upside down, maybe even during this pandemic. But you've still not turned to him. Perhaps the Lord has placed a faithful Christian, an Obadiah, in your life. Someone whose whole conduct points to the Lord. Their whole life shines with Jesus, but but you've still not turned to him. Perhaps the Lord has exposed you to the fearless proclamation of his word through a friend, through a family member, through an elder, through a preacher. They, They told you the truth about yourself and you didn't like it, but they were honest with you. And they told you the truth about God and you didn't like that, but they were honest with you. And they proclaimed the gospel of grace to you. They proclaimed the good news of Jesus and his salvation to you. But you still haven't turned to him. If that is you this evening sitting in this building or or watching online, let me ask you one question. What is keeping you from the Lord who waits to be gracious to you? The Lord who stands ready to lavish his compassion on you. What's leaving you, friends, so hesitant about turning to him and taking hold of him? Or what's leaving you so indifferent about turning to him and taking hold of him? Or what's leaving you so reluctant, maybe even fearful, about turning to him and taking hold of him? I've said that we're doing a series in the life of Elijah, and we are. But it's also a series about the Lord. And it's a series about the way in which the Lord, through Elijah, is wrestling with this man, Ahab. Now, Ahab, as we said two or three weeks ago, was the vilest toad to ever squat on the throne of Israel. And the Lord is not willing that Ahab perish and is putting so many things in his way in his life to confront him and draw him to the place of turning to him, taking hold of him. Now, if the Lord would do that with the likes of Ahab, he will do it also with the likes of you. Will you leave this building tonight? Or will you turn off your laptop or iPad or whatever other device you're using? Will you turn it off? And turn to the Lord and take hold of him who waits, who waits and who wrestles in order that he might be gracious to you.